You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful um, creed, um, for lack of a better term. It's a, it's a, it's a little speech. It's a a poem, it's, um, it's a way to remember the things that we say we believe, um, and which is why it starts off with, we believe children, we believe you should go to children's church. <laughs> See, it's funny about beliefs. Um, what you believe determines a lot about the course of your life. We've talked about this before. I did a whole series a year and some change ago called We Believe. Um, And it was simply, what are the things that we believe as Christians? What are the basic core values that we hold on to? And I like to come back to that kind of principle, as scriptures allow, regularly, because we need to be reminded of the things that we believe. Um, And what you believe determines a lot about the course of your life. Believing in a cause will unite you with a group of people, right? So um, if you are a Seahawks fan, anybody? Not getting some no's over here. Wow, okay. So, well, okay, if you are an insert sports team fan, okay, then you are united with your insert sports team fan um, type of group of people. You wear the jerseys, you cheer for the games, okay? If you um, are really passionate about making sure that all sad puppies in cages get adopted and rescued, then you are united with a group of people that are passionate about those kinds of things. You tend to volunteer with those folks. I'm getting nods, right? Um, You tend to spend time and resources in those areas. Believing in a cause unites you with a group of people that have a similar mindset. Likewise, believing in a person tends to unite you with the people who are also believing in that person and follow that person's leadership. So you can look over the course of history and you can see where groups of people have flocked to one particular type of person in leadership. You can see it um, in really strong negative ways such as Hitler and a group of people flocked and followed Hitler and you can see what happened when people unite and follow someone. Likewise, you can see when people unite and follow really great examples, say, Jesus, and what happens when people unite and follow him in one mind and one belief. I'll say this, and I'll say it again at the end of the message. What you believe determines how you will live, and how you live determines who you will become. It's very important that we wrestle with what we believe and that we don't allow false beliefs into our worldview so that they affect us and the way that we live. This is what Jesus is going to talk about in Scripture for us this morning. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read the Scripture, and we will dive into the story for this morning. Lord, um, we're going to read your word as you teach the disciples. Um, and, And we want to hear it as if we're those disciples right then and right there, as if you're speaking directly to us this morning, because you are. Your word is living and active, and we believe that it brings truth and life to us if we would just listen and submit ourselves to it. This morning, as we read your word, would you cause in us um, an extra sense of attention, an extra good set of ears? 
Would you speak loudly and clearly where we need to hear it? Lord, would you help us develop a filter for our lives that is based on the scriptures, on your very word, so that we don't allow false teachings and false ideas to lead us astray. We pray that we'd have hearts that are set after yours and ears that are attentive to your word, hands and feet that are willing to obey. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we are in Matthew chapter 16, okay? and we are starting in verse 1, and we're going to verse 12, I believe. So uh, we will, I'll just stop when it feels right. How about that? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them this. When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except that of the sign of Jonah. So he left them and he departed. And when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread with them. I wonder about these disciples sometimes. They had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, well, we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus was aware of this, and he said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000? And how many baskets you were able to gather? How is it that you fail to understand, I don't speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this is the word of the Lord this morning. Choose your bread. That's what Jesus is saying. Be careful what kind of bread you allow into your spiritual stomachs. Let me dive into this line by line because there's some good stuff here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. The term from heaven was this common Jewish phrase. It was used um, in that day and age uh, to demand proof. Show us from heaven that you are who you say you are. Show us from heaven because that's like the highest way they could say things. It's verging on breaking one of the commandments wherein don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't swear on anything. Show us from heaven. Swear by heaven, basically is what they're saying, that you are who you say you are. They wanted a sign or proof or confirmation that Jesus was Jesus. Moses asked God for a sign. If you go back to his experience in the burning bush moment, and he's like, how are they going to know that I'm from you and that I'm not just some guy? Will you give me a sign to show Pharaoh that I'm with you and that you're with me? And God said, okay, throw your staff down and stick your hand in your pocket. And then there's going to be some other things that we'll just see when we get there. Okay? 
a sign to demonstrate the power and the authority of God. These leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they wanted a unique and triumphant sign to prove that Jesus was the victorious Messiah, the one promised by God who they believed would come riding in on this white horse with this great sword who would plow through the political and social kinds of things that they were struggling with. They wanted a king to come in and declare victory over the earthly kingdoms. That's what they were looking for. And so basically they were saying, Jesus, where's your white horse? Where are your flowing robes? Where's your crown? Where's your sword covered in the blood of our enemies? That's what we want. And Jesus, um, Jesus answered them in kind of a riddle. Okay? Beautiful picture of a sunset, sunrise, not quite sure, beautiful nonetheless, okay? He said this, when it's evening, you say it's going to be fair weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, you say it's stormy today because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the signs of the weather, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. See, as clouds would move from east to west, um, the dawn sunlight, this is science I didn't know, okay? The dawn sunlight would tint them in the west, and um, it would uh, let you know that rain was coming. So the way the light hit the clouds that were filled with rain would cause red in the morning. And in the evening, as the clouds have almost disappeared, when the sunset would hit the cloudy skies on the other side, it would be red and it would let you know that clear sky was coming. Okay? The modern translation of this phenomenon is um, phrased like this. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Okay? So perhaps some of you are familiar with that. That's basically what the Pharisees were good at. Red sky at morning, red sky at night. We understand the principles of sailing and weather. And Jesus was like, well, if the Jewish leaders can recognize what the weather is likely to be by the appearance of the sky, why can they not recognize the dawning of the kingdom of heaven and the beginning of the messianic age by what Jesus has done and is teaching? Jesus has already provided multitudes of signs for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He continues, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, right? Now, we studied Jonah, what, just about a year ago. um, A year ago today, we were in the book of Jonah, actually. And we studied through the book of Jonah, and we began to understand that the book of Jonah is this great story about this prophet who struggles to follow God and really has to wrestle with what that means through some ups and downs of life. But we also realized there was a bigger picture about the story of Jonah, that it painted this great picture about a prophet who would come and would spend three days in death, just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale, and be risen again into life so that he could go into the world and proclaim the saving gospel of God. Jonah's role in history was significant to Nineveh, right? Because he spent three days in the belly of the whale, Then he got vomited out or spewed out, or I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but he was no longer in the whale. And then he went to Nineveh, and he preached that God loves them, even though they were sinners, they should repent, and that God would forgive them. And they did. The entire town of Nineveh repented, changed changed that town forever. Okay? Now, we recognize that that's just a picture of Jesus. Jesus was significant not just for one city, right? But Jesus was significant for 
all people, for all time, from the beginning of creation to the time that he wraps it up at some point in the future, Jesus came out of the belly of death after three days, rose gloriously, and now preaches the gospel of salvation to everyone on the face of the planet. And Jesus is saying, that's the only sign you're going to get. If you want this rousing, messianic, hoorah moment, it's going to be the sign of Jonah. Just you wait three days, and then I'll come back from the dead, and then you'll know, sign of Jonah. That's what he's talking about. Now, when the disciples reach the other side, Okay. they had gotten, forgotten to bring any bread. Now, you remember, um, Jesus and his disciples had just been, um, just been in the, the feeding of the 4,000. So they were in very much Gentile territory at the top of the mountain. They'd come down, they'd gotten in a boat, and they'd begun to sail. So this little um, moment with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you need to know that Scripture's not always in chronological order in the Gospels. So um, as you read the Gospels side by side, you'll see that some stories take place in opposite orders. So what happened here is the Pharisees and Sadducees were not on the boat with them. This moment happened at a different point in history, shortly after the feeding of the 4,000, based on what Jesus told them, but not while they were in the boat. Okay, So it might have happened right after they got out of the boat. It might have happened before they got out of the boat, because maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees at this point were hot on Jesus' tail. So um, they might have followed him to see what he was doing in the Gentile territory. Not quite sure there, but needless to say, they weren't on a boat with him. So kind of two, two stories stuck together to teach the point that Jesus is making. They got out of the boat, and they had forgotten to bring bread. Now, didn't they just wrap up the feeding of the 4,000? Didn't they just have seven baskets full of bread? Where did the bread go? Why did they forget to bring bread? Were they not hungry? So, needless to say, they didn't have any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So maybe they'd had this dialogue before they got in the boat with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They got on the boat, they're sailing across, and they're realizing they don't have any bread. And Jesus says to them, make sure that you watch out for the bread, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they're going to get to the other side. They're going to land in Jewish territory, Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to be right there. So what happened with these disciples? Did they forget bread? Is it just that simple that they absentmindedly forgot to pack a sandwich? Or did they count as too casual the miraculous provisions of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000? Well, Jesus got this. I don't need to pack a sandwich. He's got it covered. Scripture doesn't tell us, only that they don't have bread. And Jesus uses that to warn them not to partake in or spread the evil influence and teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, why were the Pharisees and the Sadducees teaching things that were evil? Was everything that they taught evil? No. They taught some very good things from the law of God. But they denied the kingdom of Christ that had arrived. And the Sadducees denied the resurrection that Jesus offers us. That's why they were sad, you see, that's how they taught us to remember it in school. Uh, okay. No, not a good joke. No. <laughs> uh, that's how they taught us to remember. They were sad, you see, because they had no hope in the resurrection. So they were teaching false things to people um, at the same time Jesus was teaching the hope of the resurrection and the life of the world to come. What was this leaven, we might ask ourselves? What was it specifically that Jesus was saying, beware of? 
Matthew chapter 23 gives us good framework. I won't go into great detail. We're going to get there eventually, okay? Um, But needless to say, Jesus points out very specifically in Matthew chapter 3 what is wrong with the Pharisees and the Sadducees' teaching. And it includes this, hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees would say a lot of things about God, but they do the exact opposite. Jesus said, have nothing to do with hypocrisy. Speak the truth, do the truth. Pharisees and the Sadducees had poor character in the mind and the eyes of Jesus. Don't be like that. Secondarily, they were full of pride. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they wanted to be seen as better, more honored, and almost as many gods among the people that they lived among. They had the rules and the knowledge and the know-how, and they were respected. They were the ones that ultimately saddled people with extra burdens rather than lifting burdens off of people. Jesus says, don't be full of pride. Don't give people extra burdens. Pharisees and Sadducees lifted, uh, laid burdens on people so that they would keep needing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was like a scheme that they had going on. They didn't offer peace. They didn't offer freedom. That's what God offered. God said, don't be like the Pharisees who are full of pride and give people burdens. He said, don't partake in that. And even more than not partaking in that, don't spread that. Don't give any credence to that kind of thing. Don't allow people to associate Jesus and those kinds of thoughts and behaviors in the same sentence. Just like leaven, which is yeast, when mixed with dough, it causes the dough to rise and become bread that has you know, got body and substance to it. The leaven you partake in for your soul, Jesus says, will cause you to grow up into the product of the leaven that you use. So the leaven that you feed into your bread will determine your bread's outcome. What you believe determines who you become. Okay? What you allow into your life is going to determine what you raise up into. And so they began discussing it among themselves, saying, but we, bought no, we brought no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said, you have little faith. Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Um, isn't bad bread better than no bread? Here's a good question. Isn't bad bread better than no bread? Um, if you are starving, shouldn't you take what is offered to you, lest you don't perish, even if it's moldy? That's a tough question, isn't it? Um, If you are hungry and you can't get organic, grass-fed, no-hormone, free-range beef that's been given massages and, you know, pampered, if you can't get that kind of food, will a Big Mac suffice? Okay? These are the spiritual questions that Jesus is posing. Was the Pharisees' bread expired? The disciples were wondering, why shouldn't we buy their bread when we get to the other side? Was it expired? Was it moldy? Do they dislike us enough that they baked razor blades into their bread? Is Jesus saying, don't eat the ghetto bread of the Pharisees because it will hurt us? They wondered why they weren't allowed to buy the bread from the Jewish leaders. And Jesus, again, he's thinking, man, could have had a V8 with these guys because um, I'm not talking about physical bread. Eat the bread from the Pharisees. Remember, it's not what goes into your stomach that makes you unclean, but it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. 
Jesus said that he could, he has proven in significant ways he could provide a meal if people were hungry. It wasn't about food for the stomach. The disciples by now should have known that God can provide the needs of those who follow them. It's not about the fact that there's not physical food. Jesus is talking about the spiritual food. He said this, How is it that you fail to understand I don't speak about actual bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And it was then that they understood. He didn't tell them about the leaven of the bread, but the leaven of the teaching. So we've got good bread, and bad bread. We've got good leaven and bad leaven. And Jesus wants them to understand it's not the food, but what you're being taught that is important. Jesus chides them gently for confusing physical and spiritual issues. Again, um, remember, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out of it, because that comes from your heart. So what you believe determines how you live. So what you believe is what is in your heart, and how you live is what comes out of that. Jesus reminded the disciples, he is the bread from heaven. He has come down for the Gentiles. What's really interesting about this is when he mentions this today, don't you remember about the 5,000 and the 4,000 and the baskets? He's using again those specific terms for baskets, the Jewish term and the Gentile term for baskets when he's reminding them. Don't you remember that I'm going to take care of my Jewish chosen people and I'm going to take care of the Gentiles. Don't you remember how I provide for the entire world for their needs, not just physical but spiritual? He tells the disciples they need to take in good spiritual food from the giver and creator of life, the one who has been spiritually and physically feeding the world from the beginning of time. He says, do not settle for less. Do not settle for less than what Jesus offers you. And it was only then that they began to realize that Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not speaking the same language. They were not proclaiming the same kingdom. They were actually not even just on parallel paths. They were on paths that were taking them in completely opposite directions. So if you get on track with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, You might look like you're close with Jesus now. Five years down the road, you are going to be so far apart from where Jesus would want you to be. So what do Christians believe? What does Jesus say is important for the life of a Christian? What is the leaven from heaven that we need to partake in and deeply understand? I got the nuggets up here for you, okay? God created Everything. This is what Christians believe. This is what the Bible teaches. That God created everything. And in particular, he created man and woman in his image. He created us in his image, which means he's like our dad. He is our dad. We look like him. We talk like him. We sound like him. He wants us to grow up to be like him. He created us to have intimate and deep relationship with him and with one another. We believe that God gave man, when he created man in his image, free will. To be able to choose to love and serve God, or to choose not to, but that's a choice that God gives us. And we believe that Adam and Eve exercised their free will and chose to sin, to willfully transgress the known law of God. Do not eat from that tree. And they said, we're going to eat from that tree. 
They willfully transgressed a known law of God. That's what we call sin. And because of that sin, every human being ever born has inherited original sin. We have inherited this this stain that Adam and Eve has passed down to us. We also believe that because of free will, we can choose to sin on our own. And don't give me a show of hands, but anybody who sins, say a little amen in their head, because every single human being has chosen sin at one point in their life. We believe that God was grieved over sin. We believe that this sin caused a separation between humanity and the creator God who loved these people so much that when they sinned and broke that relationship, it broke God's heart. We believe that that caused separation, but God didn't want it to stay that way, so he worked out this plan of redemption to reconcile all people to himself again through the death and blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that simultaneously he is fully God and fully man, that he came to earth, that he was born of a virgin, meaning he was born without original sin. We believe he lived a sinless life, that he chose to never sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that he willingly died on the cross in our place for our sins as the perfect spotless lamb. And that on the cross, we believe God in a divine moment of grace and mercy towards us and what I can't even imagine was horrible torment towards Jesus, placed the sins of every person who had ever lived or will ever live upon Jesus. And in that moment, something happened where God is fully, Jesus is fully God and fully man, but in that moment, God the Father turned his back on God the Son. And there was a separation that had never occurred before and never will occur again. God turned his back on his Son. And in that moment, the full wrath of God for the sins of for the, every sin that has ever, ever, ever will occur, the full wrath of God was pulled out on Jesus. And Jesus died because of that. But he did that so that ultimately we can look on Jesus, be forgiven from our sins, and trust that Jesus has taken them away. But we don't believe the story ends there. We believe that Jesus didn't just die, but that he rose from the dead after three days. And in raising from the dead, under his own power, because he's God, he said, death can no longer hold me. I heard it put this way once. I think it was a district assembly a year or two ago. Um, that someone put a bunch of trash in a trash bag and, and, and uh, held it. And he said, this is all the sins of the world and this is death. And Jesus entered into the mess and the death and the grossness that is the trash of our lives and the world. And he didn't just stay there, but, and then he took the bag and he punched a hole through it. And he said, Jesus punched a hole through death and he came out the other side and he's leading all of the people through to life who will choose to follow him. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is reigning and ruling right now from heaven at the right hand of God and he's granting life and hope to anyone who will say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again. We believe that Jesus' death and resurrection is the 
only hope, the only hope, the only hope that a sinner has for redemption. There is no other way but through Jesus. That can never be said enough or clearly enough for this world to hear. It must be said and clearly. There is no other way but through Jesus. We believe that Jesus is ruling and reigning from heaven right now. We believe he's the pastor of the church, capital C. Every believer on this face of the planet is part of the church of Jesus. We believe he's the pastor of that church. We also believe he's the pastor of this church. I am simply an under-shepherd to Jesus Christ in this church. We believe that he works in the lives of people, both Christians and those who have not yet trusted in him, working out his will for his glory and the good of mankind. We believe he will return one day. We believe he will bring to completion the things in which he's begun, this kingdom which we are living in the already not yet. We don't see its full completion, but one day we believe Jesus will come back and bring peace and joy to reign in abundance. Sadness and illness will be no more. And like the Nicene Creed says so nicely, this kingdom will have no end. No end. That's what we believe as Christians. That's what Jesus was getting at with his disciples when he said, there's leaven of the Pharisees, and if you believe that, it will take you away from the resurrection. There's leaven of the Pharisees, and if you believe that, you believe that the way to salvation is through works. You can earn your salvation by being good enough. That will take you away from the kingdom of God. He says, be very careful to stay with Jesus, with the kingdom of God that he is proclaiming, that there is one way, and it's through Jesus, and it's nothing that we do. It's all Jesus' grace for us. So here's the takeaway. What you believe determines how you will live. The things that you believe about life and death and taxes and work and relationships and morals and right and wrong and everything else that you can have a belief on in life, they will influence your choices, your words, your actions, your day-to-day living. What you believe determines how you will live every single day. And beyond that, how you live determines who you will become. Said this way, you are who you are becoming. The habits and practices that you espouse today, if you continue to do those things, you will be more like that next week than you are now. If you've got bad habits in your life and sins that have gotten a hold of you, you've got things that are leading you astray, the more you live in that, the more like that you will become. The more choices you make in a certain direction or pattern, the stronger your convictions become there. You are constantly building habits, constantly developing, constantly growing every single day. And if what you believe determines how you live, as long as you live like that, you will become like that. Your choices, actions, thoughts, words, behaviors, public and private, on a daily basis, reflect your character and reflect who are you becoming. Are you on trajectory with Jesus in the kingdom of God? Are you becoming more like the world? These are questions to evaluate in your head. Are you becoming more comfortable with false teaching? It's just how the world is. It's just out there. It doesn't have any relationship to me. I can exist in a world with false teaching, and it won't bother me one bit. I don't have to say anything against it. That's not my business. Are you becoming more comfortable with it? 
Are you becoming more comfortable with comfort, your own comfort? Or are you striving to be more like Christ? Are you becoming more aware of false teaching and you have this righteous, holy discontent for people being led astray from the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you seeking righteousness over comfort in your own life? It's more important that I live a holy and righteous life before God than it is that I am comfortable. What did I say last week? I quoted somebody. It was the quote that says, um, God interweaves his glory and your joy so tightly that you can't exalt him without experiencing your joy. You remember that quote from last year? I butchered it last week. But it's the idea that we can seek righteous life and find great joy there. It's better than comfort, joy is. It's better than comfort. So I would ask you this question this morning. Chew on this this week. What is your filter? What is your filter? There are many kinds of filters we have in life. The, the filter that you have determines what your life is going to be like, what you're going to allow in and allow out of your life. When you pan for gold, you want a good filter because you want good gold, yes, okay? Um, when you have um, a filter in your car, you want a good filter and a clean filter, right? Because if you don't, what is it going to do? It's going to mess up your engine, right? Okay? So, filters are very important. Here are the types of filters that we tend to have. Individual filters. This might be your filter. Whatever feels good in the moment to you is your filter. Looks good, I'll eat it. Feels good, I'll do it. Sounds great, I'll say it. Doesn't feel good, not going to do it. Maybe your filter is simply what is feels good in right now. What brings me comfort and joy in the moment. That's my filter, what feels good for me. Maybe your filter is social. You allow those that are closest to you, your friends and your family, maybe um, you've got a handful of people that are very close to you. You allow them to be the ones that are your filter. Communally, what do they say is beneficial? You seek their wisdom and their insight, and that allows you to determine, should I receive this piece of information or forget this? Hey, I heard this on Facebook about X, Y, or Z, and it does X, Y, or Z for my health or my spice cabinet or whatever these things that go around. Is this true? Let me go ask my friends. What do they think? Oh, they think it's true? Great, I'll believe it. Is social your filter? Maybe cultural is your filter. The general world, the nation, politics, social media, um, the news that you hear on the computer or the telephone or anything that goes around you in the general world. Is cultural your filter? Whatever the general census of the world is, is where I'm going to go. Because I don't want to be contrary to anyone. So whatever the common ground is, is where I will go. Maybe that's your filter. Maybe your filter is this. It's legal. Okay? You, you love the Bible. And you also want people to follow the Bible the way you follow the Bible. So your filter is the Bible plus. I'm going to take the Bible and add my own standards to it and expect other people to fall in line because that's my filter. And if they're not with me, then they're against me. Maybe that's your filter. Or perhaps your filter is biblical, and I hope and I pray that this will be your filter. The Word of God is your filter. So often 
in our world, we find this, and even in churches, and it grieves me as a pastor, I see this, where you'll see a pastor get up or Bible studies, and they'll have the Bible and they'll have a book. They'll have the Bible and they'll have a movie. They'll have the Bible and they'll have something. And when they sit down or when they stand up to teach, they go, here, let's read this great quote, this great chapter, this great something from such and such who's a great author who has these great insights on life. Let's read a book that talks about Jesus and sounds like Jesus, but it's not the Bible. And let's see what we can glean about Scripture and Jesus from a non-biblical source. And then they go to Scripture and say, oh, see, look, the book said God so loved the world, and the Bible does too, so that must mean this book is valuable for our lives. That's backwards. What we need to do is not take a book and run the Bible through it to see if the Bible stands the test of time, but we need to take all of the information that we're getting from society and we need to run it through Scripture and say, what sticks? And says, yeah, that matches what Scripture says. Or, no, don't keep that. Let that run right through because that's not truth. This is our filter, people. This is what helps us understand every circumstance, every situation, every politic, every everything. There's something in here that will help guide us. We cannot take other things and elevate them higher than Scripture in our filter. Okay? Now, there are great resources out there. I'm not knocking that there's good truth in other resources, but we must not exalt anything else primarily over Scripture. In fact, in recent days, perhaps you've heard, maybe you haven't, um, there have been two books that have been written. Neither one of them I like because they're against this. Um, both of them were very popular, bestsellers. One of them is um, The Boy Who Went to Heaven, um, and what's the, what's the other one? Um, Heaven is for real, okay? Don't like either one of them. Um, they, they are contrary to scripture. Um, Heaven is real became a movie, very popular. Lots of churches are teaching Bible studies on this. Um, and the boy who went to heaven was written six months before heaven is real. Um, and the boy who wrote it um, just came out. He's a teenager now. And he just announced publicly in a very short, I mean, he's paraplegic. He doesn't have much strength to write much. He wrote a short statement that said, what I wrote was false. I had not read the scriptures. I was not a believer. This should never be printed. Believe and read the Bible, not my false story. It's now being pulled off of shelves because Good for Lifeway and the Tyndale Publisher, they're taking off something that is leading people away from the kingdom of God. We must be very careful what we allow in our hearts and our minds because it can influence us greatly. Here's a really interesting survey, and I promise I'm almost done here. The Center for Biblical Engagement did a survey in 2012, and they realized that there is something called the power of four, okay, the power of four, which basically says this. The power of four means people are engaged in the word of God four times a week regularly, and being engaged in the word means they receive the word, they reflect on the word, they respond to the word. It's not that you just go, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 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 yeah, I've read that before. Put the word down and don't do anything with it for the rest of the week. It means you've read or heard the word. You've thought and prayed about what that might mean for your life. And then you've acted on that. Okay, Four times a week, these people. 228% more likely to share your faith with others. 
if you're doing that four times a week. 231% more likely to disciple someone because you have something to stand on and speak from. 407% more likely to memorize scripture. 416% more likely to give financially to the church. 228% more likely to give financially outside of the church. Just by immersing yourself in a good filter, which helps you have a foundation for your life. So what's your response this morning? What's your response? What leaven do you have in your life that is leading you away from the kingdom of God? What teachings and shows and friends and beliefs and relationships and books have you allowed to influence your beliefs that are contrary to Scripture? You need to ask God to reveal them to you because you might not know what they are. Okay? Um, So many people are taking in things that look like Christianity and are not. You must ask God to reveal those things to you and be willing to set them aside when he does. There are too many things that parade as Christianity and they lead towards death, not life. And if you are not sure if you've got a resource or a book or a pastor that you listen to online or whatever, would you bring it and I will help you and we will figure it out because I want you all to be studying good things. And if you don't know, don't live in the not know. Come ask, okay? Are you active in influencing your children's filters, your grandchildren's filters, your nieces and nephews' filters? They are growing up, being exposed to many kinds of things we don't necessarily want them to use as filters. Help your children develop filters to be strong. Help them to have discernment in life. You will not grow up in Christ if you do not eat consistently of the bread that he gives you. So what do you believe this morning? And will you make a choice to hear and respond to the Lord today? It says in scripture, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Abide in his word. In what we believe to be true. That is how you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free from being shackled by anything that is false. Or by being led astray down towards death, which is not what we would want for our lives and our children. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to sing some songs. And as we sing, I would say, use it as a time of reflection. Ask God what it is in your life that you need to set aside because it's not quite teaching you the truth. Lord, um, we believe what your word says. And we don't just believe what your word says um, in theory, but we want to act on what your word says. And your word says that this world will teach us things that are not true. Some of those things are going to be obvious, and some of those things are going to be not so obvious. And we don't want to be taken astray. We want to be so sold out for you. We want to be so on fire to follow you. We want to be so captivated by your love and grace and mercy that when we see false teaching, we first recognize it for what it is, And second, we don't allow it into our lives and our hearts and our families. And third, we have a sense of righteous passion for you and for the people that are being led astray by that, that we must speak up lovingly, firmly. This is false. It leads to death. Life is through Jesus and Jesus alone. But in order to have that kind of boldness, Father, we must first live it out in our own life, and we must first believe it. This morning, convict us that your Holy Spirit is with us. Convict us that your blood atones for all of our sins and nothing separates us from you. 
Convict us that there is life and hope and peace in you. Convict us that righteousness can be ours if we just follow you. You'll give us what we need. Convict us that your blood covers all things and gives us hope by which to stand. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Receive the benediction. You are part of something so much bigger than you are by yourself. You are part of the body of Christ. Go and believe that he is the head and looking out for you. Partake regularly in what he has for you. Amen? Amen. Amen.